No human plans or ideas can alter God's plan. Nothing can limit his power. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was confronted by Judas and a large band of soldiers. They had come to arrest him. And even though he could have, Jesus didn't resist them. And yet he demonstrated that he is all-powerful and in complete control. Welcome to The Wisdom Journey, where Stephen Davey is teaching through the Bible. Today's lesson is called, The Kiss of Betrayal. As the prayer meeting between Jesus and his Father concludes here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew's Gospel tells us in chapter 26 and verse 45 that Jesus goes over and he wakes up his sleeping disciples and announces, The hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Now, with this rather stunning announcement, John's Gospel over in chapter 18 gives us the details of of what happened next. The first character to enter the garden is Judas. Now, we already know he's possessed at this point by Satan himself. Verse 2 tells us that Judas knew the garden well because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Now, we also know that Judas has already sold his soul, as it were, for 30 pieces or 30 coins of silver. He wasn't about to follow someone who's not going to overthrow Rome, by the way. If, there, if there's no kingdom, if there's no crown in Judas's near future, well, Judas is no longer interested in Jesus. Of course, the tragedy is that Judas would be wearing that crown today in heaven, wouldn't he? He'd be awaiting the coming kingdom had he believed in Jesus. Frankly, Judas Judas is a hard man for me to understand. How can he reach the point of betraying the Lamb of God? He'd walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, eaten with Jesus, slept on the same hillsides and the same borrowed homes with the Lord. He'd, he'd followed him for years. He, he had marveled at the Lord's miracles. Judas was there when the lame walked and the blind saw and the dead were raised. How do you, how do you sell him out now for 30 pieces of silver? Well, the truth is, beloved, the mystery of darkness has been hard at work. You see, the archenemy of Jesus, Satan himself, has successfully blinded the eyes of Judas. One author wrote of Judas that he, he saw the miracles of Jesus, but he had never accepted the mission of Jesus. Now, verse 3 uh, has always struck me as somewhat comical. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, well, here they arrive. They got their lanterns and their, their swords and their torches and as if they, they could bind the creator of the universe. But they're, they're armed to the teeth, and they're evidently expecting they're, they're prepared for several possible scenarios here. First, they're, they're prepared for deception. No doubt that's why uh, the plan was for Judas to identify Jesus with a kiss. They, they expected one of the other disciples to step up and say, well, well, I'm Jesus. You know, take me. 
Well, as this mob enters the garden, back in Mark's Gospel account at chapter 14 and at verse 45, Judas goes up to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, and then he kissed him. The word here for kiss is the Greek word katafaleo. It's a word of affection. It, it indicates a hug and perhaps even more than one kiss on the cheek or a kiss on both cheeks. This was common during these days, and in fact, in many countries to this day where I've traveled, you kiss each other on both cheeks. It signifies affection, unity in the church among the brethren. And and frankly, this makes Judas's act all the more despicable. So just try to imagine, beloved, the unseen spiritual drama taking place here. Judas, indwelt by Satan, is kissing the cheek of the Savior. You actually have the serpent embracing the sun, and the hot breath of that old dragon now is upon the cheek of the deliverer. And don't mistake it for one moment, Jesus knew it. But in spite of that, there's no angry response from Jesus. You know, I would have said, Judas, you're making me sick at my stomach. Get away from me. But in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 and verse 50, Jesus addresses him kindly, and he says to him, friend, do what you came to do. Can you imagine that? Friend, do what you came to do. Betrayal is always a terrible thing, but when it comes with a kiss, that is, when it comes from a loved one, uh, maybe a supposed friend or relative, it's especially heartbreaking. But Jesus, he's modeling for us here a godly response to those who betray us. Earlier in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord had preached, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in verse 44. Now here in Matthew chapter 26, the Lord is practicing what he's been preaching. So the mob is expecting deception. But they're not only expecting deception, they are also expecting perhaps some form of cowardice. Now, over in John chapter 18 and verse 3, we read that they came with lanterns and torches. Now, the Passover moon would have been full and bright. Verse 18 tells us that the night was was cold and therefore more than likely cloudless and clear. There's plenty of light to clearly see their way into the garden on this hillside on, on this Uh, moonlit night. Now, a torch or two for the leaders would have been sufficient. So why are all the torches and lanterns here among them? They're They're all carrying one. Well, I think for one reason, they expected Jesus to run and hide. They thought they might have to search among the trees and in the hillside nooks and crannies to find Jesus. They're going to need every lantern possible to peer up into, into, into those olive trees, maybe look behind every rock. But instead of hiding, verse 4 tells us that Jesus steps forward and identifies himself as the man they're seeking. Now, I believe they were expecting one more thing here as they entered the garden. They're expecting resistance. Here in John 18, verse 3, it tells us that Judas came with a band of soldiers. Now, the Greek term indicates a Roman cohort. That would consist of 600 armed Roman soldiers. 
Then there are officers from the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, we were, we were told. They had their own private police force to keep peace and carry out their judicial orders. So you've got literally hundreds of soldiers armed to the teeth to arrest an unarmed carpenter. Why? Well, let me tell you, they knew he was no ordinary carpenter. They'd seen his miracles, his demonstrations of great power. So they're prepared, they think, for maybe a little supernatural resistance. Well, John's Gospel records what happens next here in verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So you need to understand here, uh, beloved, that that the Lord is doing more than simply saying, I'm Jesus. He actually announces his deity. He responds with an expression found often in John's gospel. The Greek is, Ego a me, translated simply, I am. So Jesus is declaring his eternal deity. Go back to the days when God revealed his name for the first time to Moses at the burning bush there in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Uh, Moses had asked God, you know, what he should tell the people when they asked the name of the one who sent him. And God responded, Well, you say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In other words, my name is I am. Several times throughout John's gospel, Jesus has used this expression, and he's identifying himself as the God of Israel. Now, Jesus again claims that name, and he simply, he he responds here by saying, I am. Verse 6 records, when Jesus said to them, I am he, that's added, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, what Jesus does, here he gives just this one little puff of, of divine power and knocks them over like bowling pins. It's as if Jesus pulls back the curtain on his deity for one brief second, and they all do what everyone will do in the presence of God when they see him, fall down before him. Let me tell you, they have not come to arrest him. He's arrived to arrest them. He's going to let them get back up on their feet and tie his hands, and he's going to act as if they have power over him. But he is willingly, actively leading the way. Let me tell you, beloved, in a very real sense, Jesus is not going to be murdered. He's going to be sacrificed. He's going to willingly lay down his life as the final Passover lamb who came to earth to die for your sins and mine. Well, with that, we're out of time for today. Until our next sailing session together through the Gospels, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and he called this lesson the kiss of betrayal. 
We're glad to have you sailing along with us as we study through the entire Bible in three years. If you're enjoying this wisdom journey, one of the ways you can help us is by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. That helps more people discover this content. Leave a rating or review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Then join us next time to continue this wisdom journey.